my name is Malachi Nunes and I'm a behavioural mentor from Birmingham. It's 2022 now and a lot of young people um, are killing each other. Knife crime, gun crime, um, exploitation, um, you know, as you know, as county lines. But the question is, what I get asked a lot is, um, how can I help these young people? Um, what can I bring to the table? Now, from my experience, I know that you need a lot of experience as a mentor. Like, there's a lot of mentors around, a lot of mentors in the city. Um, although I do believe that we can't just do it on our own, we need to all get together and, you know, work with each other. Um, because not one person can just help the whole city and help the thousands of kids that are going through a lot of stuff. So I do believe that, you know, whatever date it comes or whatever time we get together, because we're not doing it together. And that's the truth. Um, a lot of people are like doing things separately, um, whether they get funding, um, they're doing things separately. And some of the youth are being left out. Um, they're neglected from the system, as we already know, um, because the system is in fear of the youth because they there's a misunderstanding there's a lack of communication um they don't understand the youth um they never understood our parents or our grandparents anyway as you know going way back from when you know black people first came to you know cities like london birmingham it was hard so them trying to understand the youth of today um which is um you know blended with modern day stuff um including the drill music and i'll get back to that um you know i think that we're misunderstood what do i do to help young people i create a safe space for young people to talk i create a safe space for young people to do activities um and just focus on their talents um the main thing is mentoring. The main thing is for them to have the chance to express their problems. Because a lot of the young people I find, um, I've experienced trauma. And I think trauma is a big deal. Trauma is a big problem. And it gets forgotten about. If it got forgotten about when, you know, the olders back in the 80s and the 90s um, were going through mental health from trauma and it got forgotten about, and there was no services around. Obviously, it's going to impact the young people, because it was it was left. So we got young boys now on the street, being influenced by music, being influenced by the past of what their parents have been through, mums and dads, grandparents, because we all know in the communities, especially in Birmingham, um, a lot of the kids are following the traits from their families. And everybody knows if you're from the ghetto or you're from the ends, the roads, the streets, when you have kids, you don't want them to go through the same stuff that you went through. You're trying to better your life so you can better their life. Now, the issue is how is that done? A lot of parents that did cause a lot of trauma, um, a lot of parents that um, are still causing a lot of trauma to their young kids they're not recognising what they're doing. So then when I see these kids come to me, whether I'm working in a school, I'm working on streets or, you know, um, through certain campaigns that I'm doing, I get approached by some of the kids and the parents 
And um, I do my best to understand why they're reacting like that. And then obviously in today's age, we have ADHD, autism. And it's a lot of kids do have ADHD. I had undiagnosed ADHD. So when I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, everybody knows me that, you know, I was just hyperactive, impulsive behavior, um, couldn't control certain things. But I grew out of it. I grew out of it because I was surviving. Um, and a lot of these kids, um, this is why I became a mentor because I believe that I am now a mentor to help those kids because I never had a mentor when I was younger. And I think and I do things and I had no answers on the right thing to do or no perspective, no balance. And I believe without balance, um, giving a young person an alternative option, then they have nothing to balance it with. So they're going to go for the option that, you know, that one option, which is A, if you give a young person A, B, and maybe C, you've given him something to think about so he can be accountable for his actions. Um, so I wish that I had a mentor, and that's why I'm passionate about helping young people. Um, what can I say? Um, the experience that I have, um, I believe that as a mentor, yeah, it's all good going to college and uni and studying, mentoring, gangs, psychology, all those things to understand the mind, but you've got to have the experience. Um, and for me, um, you don't have to have been to jail just to get the experience or kill somebody. Do you know what I mean? When I was growing up, not involved in any gangs, um, but obviously affiliated because you grow up with your friends and your family and the way that they're in poverty-driven areas growing up, it's survival, what you know them, do you know what I mean? So you don't grow up and say, yeah, I'm in a gang, I'm in a gang. It's just your friends. So I'm around a certain set, you know, obviously Birmingham is known back in the day for the Burgers and the Johnnies. Um, that was my era. Um, so once I'm straying more towards the Burgers, certain people, not even all of them, just certain key individual families um you know i just seen them as people you know um and a lot of and then i heard a lot of people are fearful of these people but i never seen them like that so growing up around um those people and i i seen a lot of things which was to me normal so it's normalizing um the bad stuff and i thought yeah okay you know, a certain person disrespects the gotta get got. That's just how it goes. What other option do you have? Talk it out, dance it out. That's not where we come from. Do you get what I mean? It was like, okay, um, you're trying to disrespect me. And I think it was an ego. Growing up, it was a lot of ego. Like the male ego is so dangerous, so unbelievable. And that does impact the young people that I work with as well. Um, I mean, you know, I'm glad that I haven't killed anybody. Um, but there's times where I've got in altercations where I could have been dead or that person could have been dead. And there was a few times where I've seen my life flash before me like, whoa, I could have been dead or that knife could have went into me or that bullet could have hit me. And it was 
traumatic to the point where I believe that I do have trauma from it because I'll, you know, in my age now, um, just say I'll go to Hansworth. Um, there was a the time when I was in Hansworth recently and I was standing outside the house, a family gathering, and like on the bend, there was cars coming around and whether it's tinted or not. And because on the bend, they come around slow. I'm having conversations, but subconsciously I'm looking that way because I'm seeing this car pull up. And then when it comes closer, I'm looking. It's a family. Do you get what I mean? Like a family minding their own business. And I'm thinking, rah, um, you know, back in the day, it'd be like, you're standing there talking to your friends and it pulls up and mans are in there, wind down the window and they'd be like, yo, what's your name? Yo, come here, come here. You know, come on, like the one to come over to the car, but straight away, you know, you go over to the car. It's not a friend thing. It's not like if they got balaclavas and stuff, you're either going to um, stab you at the window um, or if they already know who you are, they're just going to drive past, either wave their gun or shoot, things like that. But that's the sort of trauma that happens. Um, like PTHD, it, it, I don't need to think like that as a big man. I don't need to think like that, but I do. And I know that the experiences that you have when you're younger impact you when you're older and you have to grow out of them. I remember when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I'd say 14 to 20. Um, I used to carry a knife with me, a Webley. And it was like I used to go to town. Um, there was a knife shop in town round the corner from Oasis Market. Um, and you, you could go in there and you could buy knives. And it was a flip knife, a Webley, to flip it out. And I thought that was cool. I used to flip it out and like, I had a little pouch for it and I used to have the pouch tied to my waist. And I used to walk around with that. Like there was not a day for about five years that I did not walk around with a Webley. Like I couldn't because I'll be in town again. Like I had a, I had a lot of jewelry, obviously. My mom had a lot of jewelry, so she used to buy her stuff. And I had chains, I had rings. At one point, I had a ring on every single finger. And you know, <laughs> there was a time when I was 16. I used to say I'm the, um, I used to say I'm the baddest 16 year old in the ends. Um, this is like Highgate area, um, Borsu Heath. And it's like, in my head, nobody could trouble me. I had my Webley on me. So if something happened on as on my own, no one's gonna trouble me. I've got my Webley, I've got my knife, I've got my protection. And if they wanted to come with a gun, I could get a gun if I really wanted to. Um, so I had no fear. And it's silly now calling myself, you know, the baddest 16-year-old. Because obviously that doesn't make sense. Like, it sounds absolutely stupid. If a 16-year-old said to me now, I'm the baddest 16-year-old in the ends, I'd, be, I'd laugh and I'd be like, are you stupid? Like, is that really? So I know that I used to say stupid things like that. But I still understand that when the youth say things like that, they're living in their own world. To them, they are the baddest of the baddest. Do you get what I mean? Um, and even though I could fight, because in school, you know, I used to do Thai boxing for years, and I'd scrap anyone. I mean, I, I was always around older people, you know, being cheeky. <laughs> um, 
I like my uncle's friends and my brother's friends. You know, they wanted to punch me loads of times, but they, but they, they didn't because I just say, I'll get my uncle to knock you out, I'll get my brother to knock you out. So then, in that area, I was protected against older people. Um, so there was no area for me to be scared of anyone. Anyone older come to me, I, I, I'll scrap you. And I'll get my uncles on you. Anyone my age, I'll scrap you. And if push comes to shove, I'll stab you. Um, it was just one of them ones. So I was my own superhero. Now, I can understand with some of the youngest today um, who have got guns. It's the same. It's just that, you know, at that time it was a, a thing to have a, um, a knife. Um, not no samurai. So imagine you have samurais, but they never really used it because it was like them crap ones, unless you had a link for a real samurai. It was crap samurais that you get from the shop, like ornament ones, you, you hit somebody and it breaks. Um... And yes, samurai um, Webleys. Also, you know, there was a time where I had um, the police cosh and CS gas. And I remember one time I could have went to jail. And I remember it was, I can't remember what year it was, but I was in that gap of 14 to 20. And um, I just got CS gas of someone. And I was in a flat and I came downstairs and I was ready to go home. This was like two o'clock in the morning, ready to go home. So I put the CS gas in my, um, by my wrist, in my coat. So it was here. So if anyone was trying try it with me, I slide it down and boom. And I had my, um, no, actually I didn't have my Webley. I just had the gas. Because again, because I didn't have my Webley, I needed the gas. I wouldn't travel without nothing. So while I was traveling from, um, Highgate over to like Nietzsche's area and I knew that at that time anyone that knows Nietzsche's was it was a fire like you know walking on the street in Highgate Nietzsche's even in Allen Rock um Saltley Aston all them areas you can't walk it's just you couldn't do it and then someone pulls up you have to be prepared otherwise you're getting robbed for your Nokia because <laughs> I remember that's what was in you're getting robbed um and I remember coming downstairs and a right van pulled up. It was in Highgate, outside the flat. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, like, there's a riot van. So about, I'd say about 15, 15 feds jumped out. And I was, I was thinking, shit, I'm going to jail. And them times, I think CS gas was like minimum five years. It was like a firearm. This was a police CS gas. I was thinking, I'm going to jail. So they come over to me now and was like, excuse me, come here, come here, where you going? I said, I'm going home. And I was like, okay, we're going to search you. So obviously, even then, I didn't know that they have to have a, um, like um, some sort of like authority to search you, like in the sense of a radio um, call from someone or the police or whatever, like to say that there's been an incident in the area, basically. Um, I didn't know the laws and stuff. And... They started to search me and I put my hands up and I started to search. But they didn't start from here. Now, I'm, I do security now, so I know. If they searched here first, down here and went like that, it would have been peak. So what they've done, they started to search here, start to search, start to search. My hands were up. And I recognised one of the police officers from a school fight. When I had a school fight, I had to go to the police station. And I recognised the um, officer that banned me from the entire boxing. 
And I said, I know that officer. I was thinking, quick thinking, quick thinking. And I said his name. And then he come over. And he goes, oh, oh you right, mate? And I says, yeah, you're good. And the police officer is searching me. And then he tapped him and he says, nah, he's good, he's good. And they stopped searching me. And I was absolutely gassed that they stopped searching me. Because I thought if he did find this gas, I would have been in jail. It would have been peak. And I didn't even use it. In my head, I was thinking, if I ever got caught with a strap, knife, gas, anything like that, I would have been pissed because I didn't even use it. I'd rather have used it and go to jail for doing something properly, not just get caught with it like a frigging statue. It doesn't make no sense. So I could have went to jail that time. And... I'm glad I didn't go to jail. There's been a couple of other situations where so close to going to jail. Um, you know, I can't even explain the situations in detail. It's just mad. And then when I think about them, I think, raw, you know, that bullet could have hit me. The very first time that I was shot at, in a sense of, I was in a group of people. Was when I was I was still in the same age group, and I was in Newtown Wheeler Street when it was absolutely fire. Like you could not walk down Wheeler Street, and there was like a block of flats. It was like there was loads of Johnnies in Newtown, but there was a certain place in Newtown by a block of flats where it was connected with Mandem Burgers, and round that little section, obviously. You know, I grew up with certain people there. So I used to play out there. I used to go down there. And we was walking one time, <clears throat> Wheeler Street, and was ready to cut. Because off Wheeler Street, there's loads of little alleys and stuff. And was ready to go into the alley. And the car drove past. And I'm sure it was like a, if I can remember, it was like a, because um, back in the day, they used to, the Rover, Rover Tomcat, I think, or one of those cars, one of those long cars. Tinted and it must have it wasn't even speeding, it's just driving. Or I remember turning around and hearing shots, and it was like just mad shots, and I like I didn't even know what it was at first. And then who I was with, there was they obviously knew, and there was like if like no one even says run. <laughs> No one says run, everyone just knew what it was and we just docked and we just ran. And I, at that point, I wasn't even thinking anything apart from, oh, I need to get away. Because if, like, waiting for that bullet to hit me in my leg or hit me somewhere, and I was just running, I blew around the alley. And I was young and I'm thinking, wow, that was the first experience of actually being shot at. And I'm thinking, these people don't even know who I am. I went in from Newtown, do you get what I mean? I was there because I'm there with my peoples. And I just thought, shit. And my heart was racing. And I just thought, you know what? This is this is a madness. Is this what it feels like? You know, where your life I could have been shot and I could have been bleeding. And I just thought, nah, I think that, i never forget that. Like, it was traumatic. So when... But what it also done is build me up to be stronger. So when I did start to go out after, you know, go out to these raves, these garbage raves and stuff, when you hear that same noise, gunshot, you don't jump. You just look and see where it's coming from. 
because you don't want to run towards it. What's funny is you can tell people who are not used to those things like gunshots and CS gas because people just start panicking and running like chickens. If you're used to it, and that's another thing, like normalising traumatic situations, what some of the youth actually do. So because it's normal to hear gunshots for me or normal to smell gas if I'm out in a rave or out somewhere, I'd make sure I look to see where it's coming from first, not panicking and not even run, just move back so I'm not in the way because I want to see who it is. Do you get what I mean? Because it could have been one of my people and survival mode is being on guard. So if a gunshot goes off and I'm like, who's that? Look up and I can see it's one of my people's. I'm going over. Do you get what I mean? Not everybody runs from gunshots. Some people run over to see if it's their people, especially if you, you know, I'm not going to run away and then two twos, you hear, you know, your brother's got shot. No way. No way. If you're in there with the man then and something kicks off and people are just pushing back and, and you know that you're not with your people, you're going towards it. And I think a lot of the youths now, you know, they, they're not really on that. You get what I mean? I mean, I've seen many times situations happen and pe the young people just run and leave their friends. And I mean, I've been left once. Do you get what I mean? I remember one time there was, um, <laughs> I think this is another time where I could have got stabbed or shot. Um, Nietzsche was again, um, I was surrounded by, obviously, people know what gang at that time was in it was, was that a, was that a rave, a garage rave, and I knew the people that put the rave on. Obviously, my bedrooms are MCs, and there was like about fifty of them. That fifty to yeah, about fifty of them that was there in the rave, and it was all outside by their cars and stuff. And um, obviously, I was known to be like. You know, as you can say, well, I used to call myself a gallus. And there was one girl that was going out with or seeing one of the gang members. And um, she must have come over to me. Obviously, I'm a new face in neutrals and that. Um, and I was talking to her. And then one of the guys seen it and come over to me. He waited until I finished talking to come over to me and put his hand on my shoulder and straight away, I know how that goes when you're in that gang, especially that gang and the youngest. They come over to you and they're like, yo, 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 come here, come here, come here, blood. And they rob you. And I just, so to me, I was like, nah, fuck that. I backed his hand. And when I think about it now, I don't I don't even know if he came to rob me because he had a spliff in his hand. I don't know, but I went taking that chance. I boxed his hand and his spliff dropped on the floor. And I had my phone a Nokia again in my left hand. And he's like, yo, I don't even remember what he said to you tough, but I just remember saying, yo. And then he gripped my phone. And do you remember the Nokia 402s where the battery would slide off? So I had the, the side with the battery, he had the phone part. So he was pulling my phone, pulling my phone and then pulled it. And then I had the battery part, he had the phone part. And then he's walked back into a crowd full of 50 men and sat in the car. So I'm like, nah, I'm not a dickhead. Like, and this is the top, like, I'm me, nah, I'm me, you know, when I say I'm the baddest 16 year old, I'm me, nah, can't try and like take my stuff. 
So I've walked over to the 50 man, moved through the crowd, went to the car, opened the door more because it was a bit open, playing music, opened the door. And I said to them, I said to the geezer, now pass my phone back, blood. He's like, yo, blood, are you mad? So I've looked and the, like on the glove compartment, there was like when it came down, it was like a gun. And then I looked and I could see like tools in the back. And then I, I looked around and bare bellies and then bare mans of reaching and those bare big mans and then he stood up at the car I was like blood are you mad I says pass my phone blood I was thinking don't get me wrong I was I was shook inside but I was like now nah, fuck that I'm not a dickhead and that ego is what saved me because I was standing up to him and then um there was one older um he was involved in the DJing and he was standing there. He was associated with the gang. And he must have looked and says, nah, leave my man alone. He's cool. And then the guy didn't, couldn't do nothing. And then he gave me back his phone. He said, nah, I'm going to pass my man back his phone. And then I took back my phone. And then I looked and I seen about 50 men. And I was like, Rawr. like hands in down their trousers, bellies on. I don't even know who was there. All I know is that that was close, like I was just being a brave heart and I shouldn't have done that because I could have been dead right now. Um, and I think when it comes to the youth now, when they're listening to the drill and they do things like, I know enough youths are getting stabbed, chefed up as they say, they're just doing it impulsive because they're bad. They've got a tool on them. Do you get what I'm saying? I know how that feels to feel like you are bad and you nothing can stop yeah so that's why accidentally things happen man's are getting chefed up and you just keep stabbing or you know some of the youths have been stabbed like 10 times 20 times the anger in them from the trauma um ego um and then the sense of them feeling bad and obviously it's a little bit different but the way that the drill music and the youth of today installs in them is, you know, kill or be killed. Because you know that if you don't kill that person, it's going to come back and kill you. That wasn't so much in my times, but now it is. But I understand. So when I'm mentoring these kids, I've got a full picture. I've got like from start to finish of when they feel like they're going to stab someone. I just know, I, I, I can just feel and I just know the journey. And I think those things in being a mentor is the experience. You cannot study that. You cannot write no assignment, no essay, and actually learn those things from within. You have to have gone through that to feel the emotion. So when I'm connecting to the youth, I'm connecting energy, and that's what's missing. You can be a mentor all day. If you can't connect with your energy, you won't get no respect. They won't listen to you. And also, you can't go around saying, okay, I'm going to take these men off road. Are you putting money back in their pocket? It don't make sense. Make it make sense as a mentor, as an inspiration, as someone that makes sense. You have to make it logical. And that's why I do what I do and my services are so good. Because as an individual, I am the company, the service, the brand, the package. I am me. Um, and those little stories there, you know, is what made me into the person I am and get the job done. Now we have kids with um, ADHD and autism. Um, now, because I had 
undiagnosed ADHD myself, I know what it feels like to have impulsive behaviours. Um, so impulsive, like people with ADHD be able to understand. You could be lying in your bed. And you know, a lot of people just lie in their bed, just chill. But when I was younger, I'd lie in my bed and have the urge to move and I, or just to jig up myself. And it was like, I couldn't keep still. It was impulsive. So when <clears throat> certain things happen, um, I'd have impulsive behaviour. Certain things that I did as a kid with ADHD, it was impulsive and my behaviour was impulsive. How I acted was impulsive. I didn't really think about it. And even now, you know, I do have impulsive behaviours, but I can control them um, with my own therapy. Um, so a lot of kids with ADHD, I can relate with them and understand um, certain things they don't really want to do, but they're doing it because of that trigger in them, that impulsiveness in them. Um, and you have to understand that to actually work with the kids. And again, that's what I bring to the table when it comes to working with the kids. That's why I get through to so many kids. Um, because I'm very much like them. Um, just a different generation. Um, and I think it's like a lot of the young boys, they do suffer with trauma by not having their fathers around. Um, and there's a lot of traumatic incidents where the young boys are experiencing that because of a cultural element. Um, like if you come from the Caribbean, Jamaica, um, shouting, there's a lot of shouting in the household, a lot of cussing. And I remember um, one kid that used to come to school and he was vexed in the morning, all the time he was vexed. And, you know, he used to get cussed to come to school. So he had come to school already vexed. But when he used to see me at the doors, I used to smile at him. I used to open my arms and say, where's my hug? You know, and the kids were baffled. You know, I was the school dad and I used to, you know, I'd, I'd hug the young boys because it was nothing. And I think that if you do show the kids a different way of nurturing instead of the cultural way, or the way that they're angry about, then it changes their perception, their perspective, it changes them. And they, it's all about giving the kids different ways to think so they can regulate differently. Because you can't expect a child to know how to regulate his anger if he's grown up in a home, um, with or without their parents, grown up with trauma, grown up in a way that is just normal to them. Like I mentioned before, things that are normal are just normal. And then you only realise it's not normal when you go out into the world, you go to school, you go to college and people react differently. And you're like, why are you reacting like that? And then you realise that your behaviour is wrong. Do you get what I mean? Your behaviour is something wrong with your behaviour. And then you reflect and at that pivotal moment, because it's what I never had is when the mentor source to step in like myself, I'd step in and say, okay, I understand 
that you feel the way you feel, I get it. And I'll share an experience and say, look, I woke up and I was vexed with X, Y, Z, just like you. But the difference between me and you is you don't know how to regulate it. You don't have the options. You don't have the tools in your box to control how to regulate it. I do. So that's why I'm here. Not to give you a shortcut, but just to give you the tools and provide you with different perspectives on how to handle it. And it works. And when you see it work, when you're working with kids and what you know how to do things the right way and you implement it and the kids then practice it or you remind them, like, remember what I said, X, Y, Z, and they, they do it. It's rewarding. Like, it's absolutely rewarding. And I always handle kids person-centred. It's never textbook. You cannot handle the young people the same. You have to analyse and one skill set that I have, and again, I never studied it. It's not in paper. It's not in a book. It will be my book that I write. But um, I grew up with my disabled sister and she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk. You know, um, she had cerebral palsy and uh, quite severe. And there's one thing that I learned is how to communicate without talking, how to communicate without a lot of body language, very minimal body language. So as a kid, I didn't even know I was acquiring no skills. So now when it comes to people with disabilities, people with special needs, adults, young people, I can communicate. It's, it's just embedded in me to clock that. I clock that body language. I clock that before they even know that they're going to explode. I just know straight away. And I just interject with an intervention, whether it's mentally or physically, I just interject quickly. There's been certain times where I know I can see a kid's going to go absolutely nuts because a teacher's triggered him or someone who don't understand him triggered him or said the wrong thing or authority figures. And I've said something stupid or said something and they look at me and they engage back into what I'm saying. Um, and I'll give you an example. Again, you know, somebody who is good on paper, you know, qualified to deal with kids, but they say the wrong thing about, you know, haircut. So you got like young black boys, as you know, if you come from poverty, it's not every two weeks you can go and get a haircut. Mums ain't got that money. £15, £10, whatever it is, coming from poverty. You go to school. First of all, you don't even want to go to school and have people see you without a haircut. Never mind if there's girls in the school. So you're already pissed. You know what I mean? Your, your fade's not there. <laughs> your head can be just all messy. And then you go to school and you're waiting for someone to say something because you're going to bang them in the face. Straight away, any of the kids say anything, you're just going to get mad, you're just going to bang them. You're not even waiting. You're just going to hear what they're saying and boom. And then a teacher who doesn't understand you culturally, not from the same walks of life, without experience of you or children like you, people of colour, says, oh... Your hair 
like they, they say something about your hair, they either rub their hand in your hair or say something, oh, you're going to go to the barbers or say something that puts the attention on your hair. And instantly, as a young person, you just want to punch this teacher in the face or you want to throw something, you want to swear at them, you want to do something. And I've seen that many times. And one time that happened and I know the kid was about to just dash his whole, he had a drink um, and he's just got to squirt the whole thing. And I stood in the way and I says, my hair's not cut, you know, look at this. I went to the barbers and the barber gave me a shit fade and I have to walk around school with a shit fade. Lord, have you got a do-rag for me? And I started to pat down his pocket. Yo, pass me your do-rag, man. I know you got your do-rag. And he started laughing. He was like, yo, move up, man, move up. But even though he was saying move, he it diffused it from being angry at the teacher and made him understand that you're not the only person that's had a bad hair day. I have got a bad hair day as well. And it's just those little things that that teacher probably will carry on with her day, carry on with her life, and don't even realise that her head nearly come off her shoulders by a kid because of one comment. And I think that through things what, you know, the company, um, my company, what I'm doing is helping parents, helping people, professionals, have training on those things. There's a lot of scenarios and there's a lot of um, structures and a lot of things that I've got in a course format for people to learn, to understand how to understand the kids and how to find those triggers and the cues before they even happen. Um, and I think that's what makes you absolutely incredible at your job and how to manage the young people. Um, and yeah, I think one other thing that really, like in this generation, it proper bothers me is exploitation of the young kids. Um, a lot of people know it's county lines. Obviously, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was just a man just going conch and going conch and selling drugs in areas where a lot of people that are not of colour who take drugs or um, high-risk areas for crime, drugs, and you're bringing the drugs and then shut them in those areas. But why... You know, that's been going on for ages, whether people live in Birmingham, they go out of town, West Midlands and, you know. But what has changed, what proper angers me, and this is why I have my anti-exploitation um, campaigns and anti-county line campaigns, is because they're using the young kids, young ages, like nine years old, um kids that come from poverty, kids that have alcoholic parents, so when their parents, or a parent, so when their mum or dad is drunk, smashed on the sofa in the house or in bed, the kid's gone out, and his friends will say, okay, you can make £500 today, you know, more than a day's work in a, in, in a normal job. A young kid would be like, yeah, just to keep an eye on, a house with loads of drugs or like ride their bike 
and go around the area and sell the drugs, take the money. Just using little kids to do that, like causing trauma. Because everybody knows who is around those street things and drugs and stuff. Shot into a crackhead is no joke. It's not about just exchange of money. It's not um, weed and it's not cocaine. It's crack. So these people are affected. They're already like zombies. And selling to them, they can rob you. You know, could spit on you. There's a lot of things, the way they look zombified. It's no joke. And those things stay with you. As a young kid, those things will stay with you. And when it becomes normalised, I feel sorry for the kids because you get conditioned. It's like being in jail. You get institutionalised in jail. You can get conditioned that that's normal. And they smile and just loads of little things that affect these young people. And those things show when they come to school. Those things show when they're in society, in the community, in the public. Or, you know, when they do seek therapy or having... Uh, relationships, girlfriends, boyfriends, those things show. Um, and it's just horrible. But that's why at any given moment, I any signs of kids saying, yeah, I'm going to go crunch and make a bag a week and all that rubbish. I'm not going to give away my skills on how I deal with that and stop them from doing that because it's I've, 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 I've accomplished it many times. Um, the one thing I, I don't do is tell them that um, they can't, you can't go. You're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to do, because when you're saying you're not allowed and you're not their parents, their first instinct is, who are you? You have to be at a certain level and have a certain level of respect to say that. So if I've got one of the young people who I hardly know and I'm speaking to, and, you know, the risk of um, being exploited. I'm not going to say certain little key words. Because then I'm like your social worker. Or the exploitation worker. Or the authority in the council. You know, CAMS. All of those professionals. I'm going to be like them. So I don't use certain words what they use. Because it just triggers. And the minute you are... To, to them. The minute you look like one of them. They're going to shut down and act stupid. I've seen it many times. Some kids that are smart when it comes to those things. You're like a police. And when you're asking too much questions, you're like a police. And they just shut down. You can't get nothing from them. And that's why the way I do things, kids will see me as someone who knows what I'm talking about. I've seen it. Do you get what I mean? Um, and yeah, I'm not going to, be talking every single detail and every single thing because again, I'm a mentor. But you know, um, th this isn't my counselling session. I'm just talking and giving my experience, and the deep, the 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 depth that I've seen and experienced is when I turn it around and utilize those little things and use them to make my services absolutely impeccable and when I say that is because I've had many kids different walks of lives different colours doesn't matter what background the way that I do what I do I get results those people have a different perspective 
And I think that is the biggest thing that you need to do when a kid comes to the services that I provide. The biggest thing they leave with is a different way of looking at things, a different way on how to pick a choice, a different perspective. They have the tools to say, am I going to go crunch and make a bag a week? Or am I going to be a kid, be at home and enjoy life and not worry about, you know, having to make money because I've got to feed the people in the house? Now, I know those situations are what the young boys experience and that's why they end up doing that. But there's certain little things what I will say and do and make them think differently because there's different other options. And that's not the only option is to go out there and go crunch. For instance, if you got a young boy and this is why I integrate my services with music and multimedia. Um and not just getting in the, um, the booth and rapping or writing lyrics and stuff, multimedia, you know, I'm qualified um, to teach in multimedia. Um, I get them to do different things, like a couple of kids that I have mentored have written their own books, um, illustrated their own books, and it just gives them a different avenue and something to do. Um, to put their mind and you learn and then I slip in these little things. If I want a kid to not sell drugs, I slip in little things in the work that I'm providing. And why not to? Do you get what I mean? Um, a lot of these kids forget that they're kids because they're being grown up by social media, being grown up by elders. Um, they think that they're bigger than they are. And I always remind kids, you're a child. Um, and because they think they're bigger than they are, they actually, you actually, you have to remind them that they're a kid, but at the same time, communicate with them like an adult. You have to find a balance. So in a nutshell, you can't just say, okay, I'm a mentor. Um, I'm just going to go and help and deal with the kids on the street and get them off the street. Blah, blah, blah. I hear that many times. You can't just say that and then just, turn up and think that it's going to work no there's a process there's so much that you need to know before you can even try and change one kid and that's why i've designed these courses um for people to learn um and understand um people who are already in high places in jobs and stuff to to, to change the statistics and real numbers you need people on the ground who know what they're doing. And I think that's what it's lacking. And that's why crimes go up within youth. Um, knife and gun crime. 